Hi, welcome to another episode of the Sociology Talk podcast. Today we'll be speaking to Lorraine Lainez Alvarez, who is a dual enrollment sociology teacher in Delano, California. I hope you enjoy. All right, welcome. Uh, today we're talking to Lorraine Lainez Alvarez, who is a dual enrollment sociology teacher and uh, in Delano, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, and so uh, we, we really are happy to have you here and we're thankful for your time that you've uh, given to us for this podcast. And, you know, I usually just start off with this question about, um, you know, a little bit about yourself and what made you come to sociology? What drew you to sociology? All right. Well, Andres, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It's definitely a great opportunity. I was super excited that you invited me to talk about all of this. Of course. Um, I am a high school educator in Delano. This is where I was born and raised. I currently teach dual enrollment sociology, where my students are getting college credit by taking this class. And this is a result of me having my master's and being qualified to teach at the college level. I also teach education pathway through our career technical education program, preparing seniors who want to go into the education field. And I am also the student activities director. So I play a lot of roles mm -hmm. at, at my high school. Wow. Are you the popular kid in, in school now? I'm sorry. <laughs> what was that? Are you the popular kid in school now? You know what? <laughs> Believe it or not, I am not. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it, it, especially during this time, I'll send e emails out to my friends and, and say, oh, this is Amsalvarez. They're probably thinking, who is she? Because <laughs> even on campus, right now we're distance learning, but even on campus, I'm always running around school doing totally different tasks and it's really hard to catch me um but but I would like to say that I that, that my students know me mm -hmm. the staff yeah awesome so what drew me to sociology well I have my bachelor's and my master's in sociology my bachelor's from UC San Diego mm. I never went to I didn't go to UCSD initially with a sociology major I went in as a as a human biology major so I mm -hmm. thought I wanted to do pre-med and it wasn't until I was actually put into these volunteered internships at the hospitals at the cancer center where I realized okay this isn't for me and it wasn't until maybe going into the end of my second year that I decided to change my major after taking an intro to sociology class, which I loved so much. That class, I recall um, being taught by Dr. Evans at UCSD. We had some amazing TAs as well who were PhD students. Mm -hmm. They definitely opened my mind to this field and, and its potential to, to open up and broaden my perspectives. And I recall going into my sociology class super excited because every day we would be learning something about, about our unconscious biases and our class and race, all of these topics that I never learned in high school. 
And I felt after taking this class, I knew a lot more about myself as a result of sociology. So I took the next class. And as I continued, I realized, man, I've taken about seven sociology classes. I'm going to go ahead and major in it. So I changed my major. I did um, extend my time at at UCSD by about half of a semester, I mean, um, half of the school year, a semester, because I definitely wanted to to take more sociology classes. Mm. And then I majored, and then I received my, um, my bachelor's and wanted to go into the master's program at CSUB. And I always knew I wanted to move back to the Central Valley. Mm-hmm. And knowing that CSUB offered that master's program, I totally um, jumped on that opportunity and as soon as I got in, I was super excited. And, and the rest is history. Yeah. I have my, my bachelor's in social, my master's in social. And I definitely feel like my perspectives have indeed been, been broadened by my educational experience. And I, and I really felt like, like, because I wanted to go into teaching as well, I, I, wanted to teach at the college level at one point and I thought well you know what if I get my master's then I at least will be able to teach at a community college or or a Cal State and I knew that majoring in sociology would be very beneficial because it would bring me it would give me different perspectives and a different insight that I can bring into the classroom Mm -hmm. I think having that sociological that sociology background allows me to see students for who they are in the context of, of our society, yeah. you know, um, how, how class influences their learning, how, how not only their socioeconomic status, but, you know, maybe their, their citizenship status, the citizenship mm-hmm. of their parents, everything I feel is sociology and we don't even know it and it affects us in some way. And so I, I felt it would be very beneficial to bring that that perspective and into the classroom and it has Mm -hmm. yeah I have a similar experience yeah I had this teacher at Bakersfield College this is where I first started taking my sociology classes uh Professor Darwall and she was really like she taught me basically you know I didn't even know what sociology was you know I just took it because it was required from Bakersfield College you know and um she's likewise you know she started telling teaching us these concepts that I was like, wow, I, I knew that and I understand that and I experienced that, but just to put a concept or a term and apply it to that, it was amazing, you know, and just to, it also opened my eyes up to other people's experiences. Also how my experience fits within the general uh, patterns in society. And so, yeah, it was a really fun experience. And so that kind of led me to this path of sociology and I'm curious, um, you know, you said you had really fell in love with the major at, you said UCSD. And I want, you know, you always wanted to come back to the Central Valley. And so how did you, um, how did you know that there was a sociology or a master's in sociology program at, in Bakersfield? You know what? I just looked it up. Okay. I, I thought about the universities that were within the proximity of Delano mm-hmm. and I thought okay CSUB there's Fresno State Fresno State was a little further mm-hmm. but knowing that CSUB was only 30 minutes from Delano I felt that was the best option for me 
And I really liked that the program was small. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, at that point, coming from a very big university, I knew that in my master's program, I wanted to be in a, in an environment where I would be in a cohort, which I'm sure all of the other graduate programs are like that, mm-hmm. but be able to build that connection with my colleagues. And I can say that coming from a very big university like UCSD, it was a little difficult to do that. And I feel like it's like that with undergrad programs in general, you know, you're having hundreds of students in taking that, that, that major route and, you know, building that connection as you would in a cohort is very difficult. So I, I took that into consideration too. And I was, I was right. My cohort, you were in my cohort and we were all super close. And I, I felt like that contributed to my learning experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah. so for those of you uh, listening to this podcast, Lorraine and I, yeah, we were um, in the same cohort, right? We started in at the same time, the master's of sociology program. And you were actually the first person that I was like, hey, she's really friendly. I'm going to, you know, we should, <laughs> uh, you know, I really wanted that, that friendship within the cohort, within the graduate school, you know, one, yeah. because I felt like uh, it was, I had a hard time navigating. I was struggling with like this imposter syndrome and, you know, I, do I really, do I really belong here? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey, she's smart and <laughs> knows a lot. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, uh, get close to her and see if we can exchange, you know, maybe have study groups and stuff, which, you know, we had so many study groups. Yes. Right? Statistics. I, and I recall yeah. being pregnant. I recall being, being, um, pregnant during that time mm-hmm. and it being so beneficial we would have groups I, I even have the picture of you all having a study group for statistics and I'm at home with my pregnant self on um, the other end of zoom so it was yeah. great I, I definitely felt I, I appreciate the bond that we all had it definitely got me through the program yeah yeah we were doing zoom meetings and study sessions before it was cool right right (laughs) exactly exactly i felt like such a big zoom expert Mm -hmm. now that we're on this distance learning platform i prefer zoom over other platforms mainly because i i've i've become so used to it Mm -hmm. and it's funny because even for my my education pathway class when we were meeting on campus I would, I developed a lesson that familiarized my students with the, with the platform. So I even thought this would be a great platform to use in the event that we have substitutes. So instead of having to do a substitute plan, why not record yourself and have the substitute play it? And you're technically, you know, giving a lesson. Yeah. Um, So it's great. It's, it's great. Yeah. So the, the substitute gets paid for playing, uh, pushing play. Right. How great. And you don't feel so behind. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And you don't feel behind. It's funny because I recall having, um, you know, doing using Zoom during my my ASB, my student activities director days on campus. And there were days where I would have to get a sub because I'm having to to plan an event on campus like homecoming. So I really didn't like to, to get substitutes because whenever I would come back, I would feel like I would have to catch up a lot. Yeah. So I recall having to supervise from the gym, going into my class during passing period to set up Zoom and Zooming from the gym to my students who are watching me on my smart board. And I'm actually teaching wow. through Zoom. And this was prior to distance learning. Uh-huh. So it's, it's interesting because 
I did this a lot with my education pathway kids. And when we transitioned into distance learning and we found out we would be using Zoom, my kids felt like they were experts in it. Yeah. So it's it's great. See, this is a that's another benefit of of graduate programs. I feel you become so so knowledgeable in these these programs, mm-hmm. these technological advances, I guess, in, mm-hmm. in education, even prior to to um, the students at the primary grades using it, I guess. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's really awesome that, uh, you know, you were already practicing these. Um, and so they were already familiar with, with Zoom. And mm-hmm. so they, when we went to, you know, distance learning, remote learning, that uh, they just were prepared, right? So yep. it's really awesome because I know a lot of students, um, you know, my nephew and my niece, they really, you know, they struggled with the adjusting to that, right? And so it was... Yeah, so it was, um, it was just, you know, being familiar with it already allows it to really, you know, um, how's that saying go, hit the ground running, you know? Oh, yes, for sure, <laughs> so, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so um, you had talked a little bit about your responsibilities, your job title, the many hats you wear. Um, can you tell us, walk us through, I guess, a, a typical day about, you know, what is it like to be in your shoes um, teaching it as a dual enrollment sociology teacher? Okay, well, I mean, right now it's a little different. As you know, we're on distance learning, 100% synchronous distance learning. Mm-hmm. And my, my schedule is a little different from how it would be if we were in in-person learning. But I teach my CTE education pathway class for first and second period. It's a block. And then my third period is my dual enrollment sociology class. And then my fourth, fifth, and sixth periods are allocated for ASB Hmm. student activities, planning time, and meetings, and so forth. Zooming into my, my dual enrollment sociology class, I'm really going by the learning outcomes set by Bakersfield College and their sociology program for an intro to sociology class. Mm. So, you know, my students are having to learn about the three major sociological perspectives and really, and and all of the other, all of the other learning outcomes, like being able to apply basic sociological concepts to culture and socialization and social structure, mm-hmm. deviant, stratification, race, ethnicity, gender, institutions, all of that. Um, and they, they demonstrate an understanding of the basic elements of, of scientific research. So we are putting all of that into an intro class. So this is a very fast paced class. Mm-hmm. It is definitely faster than other classes because the kids have to get done in a semester. So I'm having to cram all of this. And all of my lessons are just like any other class related to a, the learning outcome. And, and the objectives of the day are, are aligned with the learning outcomes that BC is requiring of, of us. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's jam packed with, with content in the form of lecture and 
and supplemental texts that they would have to read and discussions and activities also they can meet these outcomes and it's it's pretty rigorous but I try to make it as engaging as possible I can see how some topics in sociology if not taught correctly can appear very dry Mm -hmm. so my goal is to align everything that I'm teaching with something applicable to the now and and have students relate to it somehow with the goal of, aside from the learning objectives or the learning outcomes, with the goal of having my students develop a broader perspective. And I think that's where I'm getting a lot of good feedback from my students. I have students who are wanting to major in sociology because Mm -hmm. they see how this can relate to so many different topics. It's not, I think what kind of put us into this this fear of majoring in sociology is the idea or the question we ask ourselves, what am I gonna do with this major? What am I gonna do? But, But I try to apply it to so many different fields because that's the truth. I'm, I'm applying it. I applied my sociology degree, even if I didn't use it, right? I didn't use it. I wasn't considered a sociology teacher until about two years ago, but I'm in my seventh year of teaching. Mm-hmm. And I just realized that my sociology background really helped me in, in becoming a teacher. Like I mentioned earlier, it gave me those perspectives of students that I feel like was a result of my broadened perspective of society. I wasn't just seeing them for who they were in that classroom. I was thinking of, well, how do their socioeconomic statuses, you know, affect their learning? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we close this achievement gap between people who have uh, students that have all the resources, they have the, the parents that can help them on their homework, and the students who don't have those resources, right? Because you, from your sociology background, can see that contributes so much to Mm -hmm. where a student is able to get to. So I bring that and it really inspired me to to provide for them more of the tools to to access what they need to access regardless of their circumstance. So um, I know I kind of deviated from the question a little bit, but, but yes, that's, that's pretty much my goal as a, as a sociology instructor is, is getting the kids not just to meet these learning outcomes set by Bakersfield College, but again, to be able to see themselves and understand their behavior in a social context, where they are in society, how their socialization has affected who they are today. And a lot of the questions that I ask my students are questions that allow them to relate to the content. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm teaching culture, for instance, we were talking about, and this is something that kind of drew me to to studying sociology as well. I recall in my very first sociology class that I took, my professor talked about culture shock and how, you know, people can experience culture shock in America and you can be born and raised in America. And he brought up this very good point about being in a certain class can also um, cause you to experience culture shock within that same society. And I thought about my class and I bring up this experience with my students a lot. And, you know, in my sociology class, I like to talk about, you know, my experience because I feel like my experience growing up in Delano, 
Um, I grew up with a, a single mom. My dad passed when I was nine. How that caused me to, my mom um, being born and raised in the Philippines, I was a first generation American. And mm-hmm. that in itself comes with all of these circumstances and behaviors, experiences that can contribute to my college experience, my academic experience. And I recall when he was talking about culture shock and how class, ex- how, how class affects that, I recall sitting there thinking, when I started my first year at UCSD, coming from a small town like Delano, mm-hmm. going into a big city around people that are of different classes and backgrounds. And yes, Delano was pretty diverse, but when I went to UCSD, I was exposed to so many more people, mm-hmm. um, different backgrounds, different class. And I recall my freshman year feeling so out of place. Now you're talking to you know a former ASB president. I was a cheerleader. I took all of these AP classes. I studied my butt off <laughs> just to be able to go to a four-year university after but I felt so out of place and I didn't have a term to associate with that feeling. I just felt inferior sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in a, in a suite with my roommates who have taken SAT classes before, uh, who have taken college classes before, who know certain, who have been, like, I, I had my first Jewish friend, you know, my, my first vegan friend, my first vegetarian friend, all in college, and I just did not understand. Mm. I recall this one experience asking my friend, who I'm so close to, she's a vegetarian. And, um, you know, we ordered a pizza. And I remember asking the question, you know what, I know you're vegetarian, can I just take off the pepperoni you know and she was just she was kind of thinking no that's not the same like (laughs) you just don't do that right but that Uh, was even something as simple as that has been was a result of my lack of exposure mm -hmm. you know my lack of exposure and again going back to the feeling I felt in college my first year feeling so out of place I couldn't relate to my friends who took SAT classes I couldn't relate to my friends who took college classes I couldn't relate to my friends who had parents that were college graduates of the American system I just felt like okay here I am first generation college student Mm -hmm. I'm here I'm ready but I didn't have the tools Mm -hmm. and that was a lot of that and and you know it's we're not, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not blaming my family or anything like that, but that was just the truth of the matter. A lot of it was a result of, of my class and my upbringing that made me feel culture shock. You know, my practices at home would not really align to the norms um, that I would see around me, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and I was learning and everything was so new to me. I felt I definitely felt culture shock when when I went to college and I was thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm going to take all of these classes because that's just what I'm used to. And I recall having my my friends tell me, you're taking five classes right now. That's crazy. And I'm thinking, well, I took six college. I was six classes in high school. Well, it's not the same. Like, don't you know this? And I go, no. And I'm here. I am setting myself up for failure because I no one's telling me, you know, and 
all of that is culture shock. All of that is sociology. And I bring up these, these topics to my students and it just opens up their mind. And, and yeah. that light bulb is what gets me loving teaching sociology at the high school level. Yeah. I, I, I've definitely had a lot of students tell me that they want to study sociology. And I, mm-hmm. I, I feel proud to have had some influence in that. Yeah. And what's really um, interesting, and yeah, thank you for that, that story. That's really interesting. I think what's awesome, you know, what you can tell your students and what you can bring to them is that this idea of that, you know, um, you may feel like you don't fit in, but that's not mm-hmm. because you weren't supposed to be there. You know, yeah. um, it's just having to adjust. You know, you may be the first person in, um, in college or graduate school out of your family. And so you are going to have to navigate that institution that is not familiar to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of, that's an experience that a lot of working class poor children, um, oh, yeah. you know, when, when they go into college, you know, their parents didn't prepare them for what the institution is going to demand, what the university is going to demand, demand the behavior, the things that you have to do. Um, you mentioned, you know, taking six classes, you're like, well, I did this in high school, right? But mm-hmm. nobody actually told you the, um, that it's different for college courses, right? That's something that you had to figure out. And that's something that a lot of uh, students from working class poor families have to do is that their parents didn't give them tours on campus, their parents didn't oh, yeah. prepare them to, this is how you write an essay, or this is how, what your teacher is going to require of you, this is how you, um, this is organization and this is how you um, organize your time, your structure, you put on a calendar. Those are all things that are designed for middle-class families. You know, they have these extracurricular activities, their kids are enrolled in a myriad of sports or activities. And so they are taught at a very early age how to organize your time and structure, how to, you know, some of them travel on teams. So they have to know how to, you know, flying on a plane, being familiar with itineraries and stuff like that. Those are all things that middle-class children um, experience. And it's just their lived experiences, right? And mm-hmm. um, it isn't until you get into sociology that you're able to understand that while, you know, these middle-class children are more prepared uh, because their parents, you know, know what the institution is going to demand of them. And so therefore teach them those things, those behaviors, those experiences Whereas middle class or whereas working class poor children don't really have that, right? Mm-hmm. And they're You're, having to do it on their own. Yeah. And so same thing for me. I had to uh, navigate these institutions on my own. Luckily, I had a really smart cousin <laughs> who was like, <laughs> no, you have to do this. This is the assessment test. Yeah. This is yeah. And so she really helped me with that. But she was navigating this stuff on her own as well. And so mm-hmm. um, I was fortunate to have her. We were kind of working together within this institution that wasn't familiar or, or designed for us. You know, she came from a, a single parent household. And so, yeah, I think that's something that I think a lot of the students that I teach at CCB, you know, we teach a lot of working class students or students that come from working class families. And it just, you know, the light bulb goes off and they're like, wow, that that is so true. That's my experience. You know, I, I can recall mm-hmm. one time when I was going to apply for scholarships, right? In high yeah. school. And, you know, my parents didn't tell me like, you know, you should do that. I just saw a flyer and I was like, that looks important. So I'm going to do it. And I remember going in with one essay, right? I was applying to one scholarship. And when I walked into the door, 
um, where you turn in the scholarship applications, there were students there with their parents and they're looking over their shoulder. They're like telling them, this is what you do. This is what this means. This is where you submit it. And I just felt like out of place. That's like, I think the very first moment I knew I'm different than. Yes, right? Yeah. And, you know, I had also taken the SAT, didn't know there was SAT classes that were going to prepare you for this test. I was just like, I think that's important. And so I took it, <laughs> totally bombed it. And, you know, and just, just knowing that, um, you know, even taking the SAT, you know, like the students were there just like stressing out. And I was just like sitting there, like, you know, they're studying their notes and stuff. And I was just like there to take the test. <laughs> you know, I came with my right. pencil, you know, whatever. And, um, yeah, that's, I think those are the two times I, I remembered being like, that's, these students are more prepared than I am. And that's be, not because any fault of my parents, you know, as you said, they just didn't know, like they didn't really know what the institution was going to demand of me or require of me. And I'm sure if they knew they would have prepared me, but yeah, these institutions are designed more for middle-class environments. Uh, yeah, and I, I completely agree. I completely mm -hmm. agree. And, and I think that's something that a lot of our students, a lot of my students who are in high school are, are realizing early on, you know, at the end of the day, it's not so much to tell them, well, you know, you're a victim in this, this, this society. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's systemic inequalities. However, it's just to have them become a lot more aware of where they are mm -hmm. and how to navigate, as you mentioned, right? Yeah. It, it's just to understand. I mean, had I known this when I was in high school and thought, okay, this is where I am. These are my, my circumstances. This is what I'm going to have to do, you know, to, to be able to access that. Because mm -hmm. I don't have, I, I'm just not in the same position as this person that can that can access it a lot easier than I can and it's just knowing that and and I feel I feel like that's my goal and my my duty as a sociology instructor at the high school level is to get these students becoming a lot more aware early on mm -hmm. you know and just to to provide it provide this information in a neutral um in in a neutral way where you know it's more this is how it is mm -hmm. this is what this is how it can be applied and I and I want them to be able to get that same experience I did my sophomore year of, of college after having taken all of these classes these majors even right and I know I mentioned I changed my major I think really I made I changed it three times I actually went from <laughs> human bio to human development then to sociology so yeah. it went from from biology to psychology to sociology yeah. and and you know getting these kids familiar with it early on i feel is so valuable this is valuable information that they need to know mm -hmm. yeah and do you think that you serve a lot of um, or a lot of your students come from working class poor families oh yeah, yeah. um i teach in delano this is where i grew up and I show them the census data, for instance, you know, that's an activity that we do when we're trying to practice sociological analysis. I have them look at census data. I have them, and I have them compare it to census data in Beverly Hills. And I basically show them the facts and I say, you know, we have a very large population of, of 
working class families, okay? And a lot of it is has to do with our, our agriculture, the abundance of agricultural work that we have here. We are an agricultural community. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the people who are living here consist of farm workers, their families. So more than half of our population is at or below poverty. Mm. And, you know, I, I show them the facts and then I have them think about what's around them. And I say, well, how does this influence then the resources you have access to here, right? Mm. How does this influence? And, and you know, and, and I let them, I don't give them the answer. I have them think about it. You know, mm. look at what's around us. Let's look at the billboards that we see around here, right? Mm-hmm. Let's look at the stores that are here. We have a lot of 99 cent stores. We have a lot of, you know, billboards that, you know, you know talk about the school and the different clinics we have, but even things like, um, you know, I feel a lot of, a lot of advertisements that would, that would pertain to our, our population here. Versus, you know, you go to Beverly Hills, you go to areas like that, you'll see more billboards related to Tiffany's and Louis Vuitton and all of these other things that you won't see here as a result of our population, you know, and, and, and they don't know that. And I ask them, well, when was the last time you saw like a Tiffany's um, billboard down the 99? And they're thinking, well, you know, never. Some are like, what is that? You know, and, and and, and just to have them think like that. And, and, and I recall, again, going back to the first sociology class that I had, and that's the way that our professor would have us think. You know, let's look at this data. And, and then it can start to explain, though it's not explicitly stated, you know, these kids have to make these, these inferences and build these connections, which again, correlates to the common core and, and in terms of building their critical thinking. But I have them look at this data and they're able to make these, these very strong connections with, you know, let's look at the, um, the amount of students who graduate with a high school diploma, right? Mm-hmm. And then the amount of students, and then compare that with the amount of students or the amount of people in Delano that have a bachelor's degree. And, and teach, having taught in the high school for six and a half years, we graduate the majority of our students and the majority of them go off to some vocational training or four-year um, or a two-year college or a four-year university. We send a lot of kids to four-year wow. universities, mm-hmm. but our population of people that have a bachelor's degree here is I believe, you know, I don't know if it's less than 10%. I have to look, I have to look, I have to fact check, but it's very low in comparison to people who, how many people hold bachelor's degrees in Beverly Hills when we're doing that comparative data, um, when we're doing that data comparison. And so then I ask them, well, why do you think this is the case if we graduate so many people, right? And a lot of them go to get bachelor's degrees and more. Mm-hmm. And they think, well, a lot of them don't want to come back, you know, they mm. leave and they leave for good. Uh. And so as a result, you know, that affects the, the community and it's, it's dynamics and the resources and so mm-hmm. forth. And, and they start thinking this way and they get so excited. <laughs> and I love that light bulb that goes off 
when I start asking these questions, well, think about it. Here's what the data says. What does it tell you about our community? You know, what do we need? Yeah. Why do we have more 99 cent stores and, and um, payday places, right? Where you get loans and so forth, but we don't have other things that you would see at more, I guess, affluent cities. Yeah. So I think a lot of a lot of these questions build those critical thinking um, opportunities for students that I feel they definitely need mm-hmm. to have yeah. at an early age. Yeah, the way you teach your class is amazing. You know, I wish that I had something like that in high, high <clears throat> excuse me in high school where um, just allowing you to just think critically about your social location, where you're from, and why mm-hmm. do you think that these things are the way that they are. Um, that's a really good skill to have. And I think that also, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that would help them, you know, once they go into like, let's say a four-year institution or um, something like that, just to be familiar with that. It's like, okay, well, this oh, yeah. person using all this really advanced or um, language, right, that I'm not familiar with, but that doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to be here. And I think that. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that there's a there's going to be a difference from your behaviors, your environment, and then putting you into an institution like that <clears throat> and having to navigate it on your own, just being aware of that, I think um, would benefit them. Because, you know, for somebody that doesn't have that knowledge or that background, they're just going to say, okay, I knew it. I knew I wasn't supposed to be here. These people are smarter than me. Right? Exactly. They don't have that background that, you know, it's because you're from a different environment. That doesn't mean that you don't belong there. Things Exactly. Or you're any or you're any less. And I think that's that's exactly how I felt when I, I was feeling the way that I felt. Like when you were mentioning too, like I don't like I'm I'm not supposed to be here or I'm different. I think you mentioned that. Like I'm different. Yeah. I felt that way. I'm different. And not having the answers as to why I'm different would automatically make me think I am inferior yes. when it's not about superiority or inferiority. It's about, you know, having these differences. You're socialized a lot differently. You have different experiences than I do. It doesn't make me like, like you mentioned, um, not belong here. And I think these kids, when once they learn that early on, it gives them a leg up when they go to these institutions and are placed in these institutions and are learning to navigate that, Hey, it's going to be hard for me because of a, B and C but I'm going to get there Yeah. versus I don't belong here. I'm going to quit. Yes. I just feel like I don't belong here. And, and I want my kids to, and, it, and it's interesting because the approach that I take to as has a lot to do with relating it to, to um, social events that are happening now, you know, the pandemic and, and the recent election and the, and, and, you know, having them understand and, and really build that cultural relativism as opposed to, to being so judgmental, I guess, mm-hmm. and, and being so biased, I really have the goal of having my kids think in a culturally relative way where they just understand that people are people. And I really try to, to push that, but this is not, I'm not trying to teach you to go and hate the system. You know, mm-hmm. I want you to be able to develop your own opinion with the tools and the knowledge that I'm giving you. And, and you have to remember that a lot of our differences are a result of how um, 
we have these unconscious biases that may have been shaped by the way that we are socialized that may have been limited to the amount or the agents of socialization that we have. And then you get older and you start realizing, well, why does he think this way? And why does she think this way? Well, how are we raised, right? Mm -hmm. How were we raised? Um, which agents of socialization really influenced us the most? And it helps you see people as people. And that's my goal, you know, as opposed to growing up and thinking, well, they have more, they're going to su succeed. I'm just so inferior. No, it's, it's understanding that everyone is different. Mm -hmm. And once you get a grasp of that, you know, you begin to, I think like, like I mentioned earlier, you have, you brought in your perspective about people because it's so easy to just judge, you know, it's so mm -hmm. easy to get into that judgmental stage where you are growing up and you think, you know, the way that I'm doing things is right, but you've never really been exposed to or you have been, but you just don't know how to take it. Um, people who are raised differently, that have different values and different norms as a result of how mm -hmm. they're socialized. Right. And um, once you get a better grasp of that early on and you see, you know, people are just different. You know, you see the people who are protesting um, at the Capitol, right? And, and we think and we demonize them and we think, well, you know, they're, what they're doing is wrong. But at the end of the day, you think of it from like a sociological perspective mm -hmm. that as neutral as possible. And you think, well, what experiences have they had that has influenced their anger so much, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, maybe it's just the class that they're in. Maybe it's, you know, and I even talk about white supremacy and how, yes, you know, we can, we can say that it's wrong, but then we also have to kind of think of it from that sociological perspective. Like, what if that is their right? Like, what if, what if that is their reality? Because really there's that, the idea of, of the social construction of reality, right? And what if to them, that's right? Because that's how they were raised. Yeah. Those are all the agents that they, they've been exposed to. So who are we to say that they're wrong? You know, and it, it gets them to think that. And I ask questions like this. I ask questions like this because I want them to think. Yeah. Um, I, I want them to think, and I'm I'm saying I'm not saying that it's right, but I am asking you to kind of question. Well, if that's what they're so passionate about, passionate enough to fly over to the Capitol and and protest and be violent, right? They think that this is right. Well, even if you think it's wrong. What, have, what has influenced you to think it's wrong and what has influenced mm -hmm. them to think that it's right? Mm -hmm. Because what if to them, I mean, if they're so passionate about how they feel, what if that's their reality? What if, you know, their only definition of what's right has been shaped by people who've had these unconscious biases, mm -hmm. who have been sending these messages through the process of socialization and saying, you know, you are a better race people like that are not, it's their fault, right? And they don't, they're not given these tools to really question it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think it's just giving these kids the tools to be able to, to do that and to be able to become aware. Yeah. Is my goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. You know, I want to say your students are 10 times ahead of where I was. In grad <laughs> I'm Me curious. too. I, was like, <laughs> I wish I knew this. And that's the mentality I go into the classroom with Andres is, is things that I wish I knew, you know, and I even start like that. 
let me tell you this like and i'll tell my students this i wish someone told me this mm-hmm. and that's how i start and then they'll really listen <laughs> of course i try my best to not i don't try to teach from a biased perspective you know i want them to be able to to choose on their own um and and develop their own opinions but but you know i i start off with that like i wish i took this class early yeah. on oh i wish they totally had um a class like that when i was in high school I'd, you know i didn't even know what sociology was until i was in college <laughs> you know and still i didn't even really know until i started taking the class and learning the concepts who you know the paradigms conflict theories and ball interactions mm-hmm. yeah. yeah structural functionalism so it wasn't until I was actually in the class where I was like, oh, this is sociology, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely can benefit, um, you know, what, what you teach. I think that's really amazing. And I think that's really, truly something valuable uh, to your community. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, your students are very lucky. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I feel fortunate to be able to teach this. I feel like it was... Um, it, it's been a blessing to be able to teach this at the high school level, because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I mean, the, these kids have the opportunity to take the class for free, um, yeah. as we would, I mean, in, in contrast to how we would have to pay for our classes. And, and I get kids that really want to be there. I get kids that listen. I get kids that are so engaged, you know, and they stop, they, they, they probably come into a class thinking, okay, well, I was forced into this class. And then later mm-hmm. on, they become really active in it. And this being my third year teaching sociology, I've had some of my former students in college reach out to me saying, Oh my gosh, miss. Um, (laughs) I feel so ahead. Everything that they're saying, I'm thinking, I already know that. (laughs) It's so great to hear that. And I have kids that tell me they want to change their majors to sociology. And I, and I mentioned to them, you know, you don't have to be a sociologist. Mm. Um, You don't have to, you don't have to major. I'm I'm sorry. So you don't have to major in sociology um, just to, to thinking that you have to be a sociologist. Mm -hmm. I, I want my students to know that you can major in whatever you want and take whatever career route you want. And I feel like, you know, with sociology, for instance, I tell my kids, you can be a doctor and you can major in sociology and that will bring a whole new perspective to the field. You just have to make sure you take the prerequisites to go there because a lot of kids think in order for me to be a doctor, I got to major in human bio and, and, you know, medicine and so forth. But really, no, you can go to law school and you major in sociology, and this is going to bring you a whole new perspective to the field. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can become a teacher and major in sociology. So when my kids ask me, I want to major in sociology, but I don't know what to do. You can do so much. Yeah. So much. And I know, and I can guarantee that if you major in this, it's going to give you a leg up in whatever field you choose to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And you had mentioned, you know, even if you don't major in sociology, and you take some, or let's say you major in sociology, but you don't actually go into a sociology-related job or position. Mm-hmm. Um, it does bring you information that you wouldn't have had without sociology. So yeah, yes. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So we've talked a great deal about you know the benefits and um, the rewards, right, of mm-hmm. of your occupation. Um, what do you think are the challenges? What what makes it tough? 
Well, being an educator, I can say right now, it's definitely been difficult teaching on this new platform. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, I mean, as, as teachers, we're, we're super resilient. We, you throw something at us and we will adapt and we will adjust and kudos to teachers yeah. during this, this pandemic. And that's right now, that's definitely been a challenge for me to, to teach on this new platform and, and feel like it's being as, it's as effective as being in person. Mm-hmm. However, you know, in, in general, I've just kind of felt like the, the challenges that, that correlate with, with being, that come with being a teacher is being able to, to differentiate your instruction and make it accessible to those students that you have that may struggle a lot, you know, mm-hmm. as a result of their lack of resources or, or all of that. And, and really it's just, and I feel like that's, that's something that we become better at as years go by. I definitely feel I'm a lot better at differentiating my instruction for the needs of my students, the different needs of my students a lot better now than I did before, but that's always Mm -hmm. been a struggle for me. You know, the thought of how do I make this really challenging sociological content accessible to the students who has never really been exposed to it or doesn't come with the vocabulary or the background um, that would be very useful for them or that would be beneficial for them to thrive in this this subject. And so, you know, teaching sociology in general, it being a college class, me having to keep the rigor of a college class, but teach it to high school students who, you know, maybe some come with lower reading levels and they're expected to access and read a college text. Um, maybe they come with um, these, these different um, study patterns and, and so forth. It's just, you get students with completely different experiences and having to teach content, very difficult content, to a whole range of different students and expect them to access it Mm. um, or meet your learning objectives can be very difficult. But some ways that I have, I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly looking at ways that I can um, teach content and make it accessible to my students, especially sociology content. Like this is not easy. This is not easy. You know, you are expected to write well. And now me teaching this, this, college level class to high school students, they're expected to know how to format, how to format in either APA or MLA format, but that's not part of those student learning outcomes. So I'm hoping that they come in with really good writing skills because I am assigning them work that is, um, you know, going off of a certain rubric, I'm expecting them to write a certain way and I just don't have all of the time to set aside to teach them how to write. Mm. And so, uh, or communicate effectively because these kids are so smart, Andres. They are so smart. I can, I, and I tell them all the time, wow, you know a lot more than I did at your age. Mm. But right now we're having them communicate their, their knowledge through writing, right? And that's hard. In sociology, you know, you write so much and expecting my kids to communicate all that they know 
on paper, if they're not really strong in that skill, um, is, is really challenging for me because I definitely, like any other teacher, want my students to succeed in all levels. And, and being able to, I mean, having to assign these assignments and, and having to differentiate and, and find some time to teach them how to write in this format is definitely challenging, especially with the limited time that we have to go over this content. Um, and I mean, and really that's, that's one of my main challenges as, or some of my, my challenges as, as being a teacher right now and, and teaching this college class, this dual enrollment classes is having to meet the, the student learning outcomes or teach by the student learning outcomes at the college but also keep in mind that I'm teaching high school students yeah. who may have never taken a college class before and then finding time to be able to teach them how to write at the college level, because this is a college class, mm -hmm. but I'm teaching high school students who might not have that background in writing an APA format, or maybe have limited background in writing an MLA format. Mm -hmm. And can I really count Should I really count that against them? But mm -hmm. if I don't count that against them, is my class then considered a college class, you know? So it's, it's having to, to find that balance between the rigor and expectations and meeting, meeting, where, meeting my students where they're at. And, and that has a lot to do with differentiation and so much that I, I still need to, to, so many skills that I still need to polish there. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. For, because I think I take that for granted. I mean, um, when I teach at the university level, I expect them to be good writers. I expect yeah. them to kind of know the fundamentals of introduction to sociology. And mm -hmm. so for you, it's different because you know that they, yeah, they're high school students, you know, but you have to find this balance um, of how do I present this material to them? Um, that's not easy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, to high school students that struggle in, in some areas like writing, you know? Yep. And so how do you create that balance that I could see how that could be very challenging. Um, and, so. and that's their way to communicate what they know to me, mm -hmm. you know? But when we're talking in class and we're having these discussions, I'm thinking, wow, that student knows so much and is listening yes. and is, is aware. But then when it comes to the, the assignment that they have to submit that demonstrates their knowledge. Mm -hmm. And because Bakersfield College, I believe, requires us to assign, I think, at least 10 pages of, of writing, and it couldn't be throughout the semester in the form of discussions or class assignments or papers. But, you know, finding that, um, that balance between meeting the, the guidelines and um, having the student and meeting the students where they are mm -hmm. has definitely been a challenge. But I'm, I'm, finding ways to, <laughs> to, to help with that. Yeah, it uh, sounds like a very awesome job, I'm sure, uh, as, at least what it sounds like. It sounds like you love it. Um, for somebody that wants to maybe take your path or um, be a dual enrollment sociology teacher at the high school level, is there any advice you would give someone um, I guess if you reflect back on your experiences, the one, I guess the one or two things that you would um, tell somebody. Um, I definitely think a lot of, um, 
a lot of what has benefited me was getting my master's in sociology because it gave me that opportunity to really build on my, my writing and my research skills. I think if a student wants to take the route of majoring in sociology and becoming a, a teacher, I really feel like um, taking the classes that can that can build research skills and writing skills are essential. And I really didn't get that until my master's program. Mm -hmm. However, if I just kind of got my bachelor, if I just got my bachelor's in sociology, I probably would have taken the route of taking more, taking advantage of research opportunities. I think, I think at the undergraduate level, it's very easy to do that. You can do a thesis early on and, and kind of practice that because I feel like there's that, that communication that you're gonna need to become a teacher. I think when you're a teacher, we have to remember that you have to be very confident in presenting information. And I really didn't get that experience until my master's program. So some advice that I would give Definitely take advantage of the opportunities that a, a, or the research opportunities too that, that come with taking sociology, if possible, maybe doing that at the undergraduate level will mm -hmm. definitely give you a leg up when you start your master's program and you're expected to do all of this quantitative and qualitative yeah. research. I went into my master's program with very little information on that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I felt like I was learning that for the first time. And I think that would definitely build our our writing skills that I feel are are necessary to become a teacher. Your communication skills, right? Because you're communicating when you're presenting that 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 research. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, um, you know, take advantage of the different opportunities you have to teach. I know that when I was at Cal State Bakersfield, I worked with, um, with Professor Armentor mm -hmm. and, and I was able to see how it was to be in an actual college class and I would to, to teach at a college level. And I, that's when I realized, okay, this is what I want to do. I totally want to teach at the college level. So, so getting, uh, taking advantage of those experiences to, to either, you know, maybe sub in a classroom or, or shadow a professor, um, mm. any opportunities you have to be in the classroom to really see how it is, is necessary. So mm. take advantage of research opportunities and opportunities to be in the classroom if you wanna take the, the route to becoming a dual enrollment sociology instructor, because it's definitely not the same as just you know, teaching at, teaching a primary class. Mm -hmm. or, or any other class. I feel like I'm kind of like an island <laughs> at my, at, I'm my own department almost. Well, I'm still part of the social science department, but it's not history, you know, it's sociology. And not being able to collaborate with anyone is, is really difficult, mm. but, but I do feel like a lot of my experience in teaching came from taking advantage of those opportunities at both the, the undergraduate and graduate level, the research and the shadowing. Yeah.
Yeah, those are good points. I think that uh, you had mentioned the research, right? Being able to interpret it and just just actually completing a project. You mentioned a master's yeah. or something like that. Uh, there's definitely plenty of opportunities for students to present their research. You know, even if it's like a research proposal, it's a pilot study or something like that. Um, there's plenty of opportunities for students to present that. And I think that really builds on your ability to manage and interpret data. And I think that's yeah. a very valuable skill. I mean, you had mentioned, you know, giving giving this data to your students and having them try to interpret it themselves. Mm -hmm. I think it's an excellent skill that they'll benefit from later. Um, and then you had also mentioned shadowing. I mean, I was a, a teaching assistant for I think a few instructors. I mean, it, they stopped counting it. They're like, hey, you can't count that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it, I thought it was so valuable to just shadow because you see the instructor on stage teaching in a class, presenting this material. But when you follow them outside of the classroom, you get to really understand what their life is like, uh, what the job requires of them. It's not just coming prepared with the PowerPoint presentation to class. You get to see all the many hats that they have to wear outside oh, yeah. of the classroom. And so I think that that can prepare you for what you're going to expect or what you're going to do, or even how they handle certain situations. Um, as an, as an instructor, I think that's, you know, shadowing, it's a good point that that would really benefit them too. So I agree. I think that, you know, really having that understanding of the research process, mm -hmm. um, and then also really shadowing or being under the wing of somebody that can really show you the ropes. I think that those are, are excellent, uh, it's excellent advice. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, it's like, like I mentioned, it's gaining that valuable experience that you really can't learn from a textbook. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like, you know, I, I went through both the master's program and a teaching credential program, and they were completely different. My teaching credential program gave me that opportunity. And even that class that I'm teaching right now, the education pathway through our career technical education program, um, we, a lot of the, the learning comes from field. But in psychology, you're not really given those fieldwork opportunities. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's where a lot of the learning comes. And maybe just taking advantage of the opportunities to, like I mentioned, do research because you're, you're in there. You're able to, to practice the writing and, and um, doing a, a research proposal and interpreting data um, and going through literature and then again, that, that shadowing experience that is very much like the teaching credential program where now you're not just shadowing teachers at, in high school classes or elementary classes, you're shadowing a sociology professor. Mm -hmm. And that's what really helped me, you know, be a lot more um, knowledgeable in, in teaching sociology because you don't get that through a regular credential program. You right. know, I'm not being placed in sociology classes. You get that from majoring or, or getting your master's in sociology. So definitely take advantage of those opportunities. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Lorraine, thank you so much for coming and joining us uh, on this podcast. And you've given us so much valuable information. I'm really thankful for that. And um, and also your time that you spent with us. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, Andres. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate that. I've never been a pod in, in a or on a podcast before. And I, 
I am excited to, to share this information with whoever's listening. So thank you for that opportunity as well. Yeah, no problem. All right, you take care. All right, you too. Thank you for listening to the Sociology Talk podcast. Make sure to check out other episodes for more stories about the lives of sociologists. 